I'll give you the Bible reading this morning. It's from Luke uh, chapter 4, verses 14 to 30. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppression free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many in windows in Israel in Elijah's name, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there, were a severe, there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a window in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. That's God's word. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. You're a friendly lot this side of the river. Uh, I was uh, here a couple of weeks ago uh, with Millard's uh, Thanksgiving service and I've been in a support, pastor support group with Ange for over 10 years. Uh, so through Ange, I feel like I know you guys really well. Um, I'm Andrew Duncan. I've been a pastor for 28 years, but I now serve uh, with Baptist Mission Australia. Uh, so our theme, which Craig's already mentioned uh, to us, is alongsiders, how we actually come alongside of people with the good news of Jesus, both locally and globally. And on behalf of Baptist Ministry in Australia, I just want to say thank you for your long partnership in promoting Jesus around the world, uh, your partnership with Simon and Whittier, who I've become great friends with. Uh, they are just world-class missiologists uh, working in Southeast Asia. Are you also partnering with Roos and Remsky, uh, who are going back to Cambodia. Uh, they're on their way of doing partnership development. Uh, so who are we as uh, a mission? Well, we seek actually just to promote the good news of Jesus uh, in word and deed, recognising that in many places around the world, Christianity or Jesus doesn't sound or isn't perceived as being good news. Uh, so we know that many places in which we work, uh, Christianity is associated with colonisation. Or in a Muslim part of the world, Christianity is actually pretty much just identified as something from the West and everything that the West contains. 
And you know that as well too, in your own local setting here in Australia, uh, that often the church is a little bit on the nose. And so largely today, I actually want for us to think about how can we actually promote the good news of Jesus in word and deed, where it sounds, but it also feels like good news to people. Uh, Where do we work around the world? Well, we've got nine least rich people groups. Uh, So in places like Southeast Asia, in Africa, along the Silk Road. Uh, But we also uh, partner with a bunch of uh, Baptist organisations around the world, such as in Zimbabwe, Zambia, India, Bangladesh, Papua and Papua New Guinea. Uh, What is really encouraging uh, there is that these are places that we have traditionally uh, worked, but there's been an Indigenous leadership and church that has actually grown up and taken over that work, and so we've stepped aside but we've actually been invited back in as these places seek to actually do mission and plant churches themselves. Uh, Up until now, we've been working with these nine least reached people groups, uh, but we recognise that the world is changing and so we're exploring new partnerships and new opportunities around the world. Uh, So if you're sick of uh, living here in Sydney, come and talk to me afterwards and we'll have a chat. Uh, So how about I pray, and then we'll unpack uh, this passage uh, that was uh, read out to us uh, just before. Let's pray. Uh, Loving God and Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness and your kindness towards us. I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for the beauty uh, that it is to be in community with brothers and sisters in Christ, not just locally, but also around the world, who seek to actually promote the life of Jesus in word and deed. Uh, God, we acknowledge uh, that these scriptures were breathed by the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you'll breathe upon these words again and bring them to life. uh, We might understand Jesus better. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So if you've got your Bibles, uh, turn to Luke chapter 4, and we're just going to work our way through that passage that was read to us. Uh, Luke's Gospel, we know, don't we, is a story about Jesus, uh, but we also discover the Holy Spirit at work. Uh, So the Holy Spirit was involved in the prophecies about Jesus. The Holy Spirit was involved in conceiving Jesus in Mary's womb. Uh, The Holy Spirit was involved in Jesus' baptism. Uh, The Holy Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness where he resisted temptation so he's a leader that we can trust. And here we discover that the Holy Spirit is releasing Jesus to preach good news to the poor. Uh, Verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogue and everyone praised him. Uh, So we know, don't we, that early on in Jesus' ministry, uh, there was a wave of popularity. Uh, This local uh, uh, prophet uh, who actually spoke in a common language, who made God accessible. Uh, Verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Uh, So local boy done good. I grew up in Tasmania in a little town called Alveston and every time I return to Tasmania, that little local church wants me to preach because I'm their boy and in a sense, when Jesus returns to Nazareth, he is the local boy done good. In every town and every village, there would be a synagogue and they would have done similar things to what we are doing here this morning. They gathered as a community of faith. 
They would have worshipped God. They would have the scriptures read. Uh, There would have been a sermon. Uh, They would have had their own version of an after party. And here, Jesus is invited to be the keynote speaker. Uh, He could preach from any passage in the Old Testament and he chooses Isaiah chapter 61. Uh, Verse 17, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news of the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the years of the Lord's favour. Jesus read this passage and then he sat down. Uh, So in the synagogue, this is the biblical way to preach, the preacher would sit down and the congregation would actually stand up. So let's do that. You guys stand up. (laughs) This is a much better way to preach, I reckon. (laughs) I'll be kind to you. Uh, Then he wrote up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's it. That's his sermon. One sentence. No wonder he's a popular preacher. Uh, You'd love, Ange, you'd love me if my my sermon was just one sentence. But think about that. Today, today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 700 years before the life of Jesus, Isaiah wrote these words. Days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into months, and months turned into years, and years turned into decades, and decades turned into centuries, waiting and waiting and waiting for somebody who would actually step into these words. And on this day, in this synagogue, Jesus has the audacity to say, I am the prophet, priest, king, messiah. I'm God's anointed one who comes to proclaim good news to the poor. And notice Jesus' mission. He says, I've been sent by God as his servant. I've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. My target group are the blind, the oppressed, the slaves and the prisoners. My father has sent me to give sight and to set people free. So who are the slaves? Who are the oppressed? Who are the prisoners? Who are the blind people? Well, it's actually you and me. Spiritually, we're all blind. Uh, Spiritually, we need Jesus' life, death and resurrection. We need the cross to reconcile us to God. So Jesus actually comes with a message of good news, but he also comes as the embodiment of that good news, doesn't he? He literally comes for the poor and the oppressed. And those who were burdened and enslaved are to the blind. Jesus comes with a message of good news, but he also comes as the embodiment of that good news. Word and deed coming together. And friends, that is what the world needs of us more than ever before. Before. Uh, Simon and Whittier, who you join in partnership with, Uh, During COVID, uh, they live uh, in a very challenging uh, part of the world uh, where there's not as much access to health uh, as what we received. And so during COVID, in partnership with Baptist World Aid, 
in four different islands. They ministered to over 5,000 people, uh, providing medical aid, providing food and blankets and shelter. You might remember that there was a, uh, an earthquake in that part of the world last year. Again, they actually rolled up their sleeves and they came alongside of people indeed seeking to actually give them blankets and food and shelter and medical aid. But you talk to Simon and Whittier. Yes, they're loving people in word and deed like Jesus loves us, but they soon, they soon begin to talk. How can we actually share our faith with these people that we know and love in a way that they can comprehend and understand? Uh, Simon and Whittier are predominantly working in an Islamic part of the world, but they're moving to an island which is predominantly Hindu. So they're going to have to relearn all again. What does it mean to actually communicate Jesus in a way that people can get? Uh, you guys are partnering uh, with a project in Mozambique. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Mozambique, I've, I've visited there. It's a beautiful part of the world, but also a broken part of the world. I want you to hear a story, a video from Sally, who ministers in that part of the world now. Thanks. Over the years, we've had this Yao friend who has met with a couple of our team members to pray and to read God's word together. Adam has been learning what it means to follow Jesus in his own context and how to live out a faith that is focused on love. As he recognises and receives Christ's love, Adam has been sharing that love with those around him, within his family, his circle of friends and beyond. This weekend he was leaving our property and he heard crying in the long grass by the path. Thinking it was a goat in distress, he started moving through the grass, carefully examining his surrounds. Before him was a shallow hole and in the hole lay a bright, beautiful newborn baby girl half buried but alive and crying. With none of us at home, Adam carried her to the police and then on to the hospital. There she spent two days swaddled in blankets and being fed formula as she recovered. Adam's wife had six months before given birth to a beautiful girl. She was still breastfeeding and after a meeting with the family, they decided to keep this little girl who had been discarded in the bush. Adam usually travels everywhere by motorbike. For him to be walking this particular path in front of our house on this day was unusual, but his motorbike had run out of fuel. It's rainy season and has been particularly wet, yet that night and into the day it did not rain, giving the baby left on the ground a chance of survival. There is no doubt in Adam's mind that this is an opportunity to love to provide this baby with nurture, with care and a hope for the future. Adam is a person of love and he is responding out of the love he is receiving as he walks this journey of knowing Jesus. No one knows who the mother is, but Adam's response to what has happened is not of ill will towards her, but of concern. And we pray for her in her probable pain, desperation and confusion. Love is contagious, it is tangible and felt. And in John it says to love one another as Christ has loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lays down one's life for one's friends. As we step into spaces here in Mozambique with our Yao friends, we are desperate for them to know this love. To know that Christ laid down his life so that they may live in freedom from fear, 
in peace, in hope. To see friends like Adam living out this love that he knows and responding to it in such practical ways that are having huge impacts on his community shows us that the Holy Spirit is alive and active here. He's moving in people's hearts in a very tangible way. It also challenges me to ask, where has God placed me in this community? How can we love those around us well? So please pray for our friends here, especially those who are starting to go on journeys of following Jesus. Pray for the impact in their communities as they respond out of the love that they are receiving. May people see Jesus and know him as they experience his love. And thank you so much for your partnership and your prayers. Thank you so much for the love that you are showing us, for the love that you are showing the hour. Thank you. Since recording this video, this dear, precious little girl has passed away. Her time on earth was short, but she received love and care. And now we find comfort knowing she is resting in the fullness of love with Jesus. The love that Adam's family showed her has impacted this community. They speak of Adam as one who has mercy. May we too be willing to love those around us extravagantly. Only God knows what tomorrow will hold. So let's follow his leading today as he gives us opportunities to show his love to those we meet with. I don't know about you, but actually I find that a, a beautiful, uh, but also uh, challenging and confronting story as Adam, uh, but also the team there in Mozambique, seek to love people uh, in a very generous way, in the way that Christ has actually loved us, but actually as they pray for people, as they love people, as they share their faith, their hearts are actually being broken. Uh, Sally could tell you stories like that uh, probably two or three times a week. They're witnessing that sort of brokenness and despair. And so they have this pattern of loving in their hearts breaking and loving in their hearts breaking. And I think that's one of the greatest challenges to us in mission is that we actually often just love people to the point of our own personal comfort. But remember actually when Christ loved us, it actually cost him everything. God was literally broken for him to actually redeem us and for us to actually love people well, I think our hearts too will be broken. C.S. Lewis says this, he says, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. Uh, if you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully, round with hobbies and little luxuries, avoid all entanglements, lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark and motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken, it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. So can I ask you this morning, what is the state of your heart towards the people that God has placed in your life? Are you loving these people to the point of comfort or to the point of vulnerability? 
uh, in verse 19. It says that Jesus came to preach the year of the Lord's favour. This is actually a technical term from Leviticus chapter 25. It's the year of Jubilee. Uh, So if you've ever done one of those Bible plans where you've read through the whole of the Bible in the one year, Leviticus is normally one of those books you you go and fast forward through. You just read as fast as you can because it's got all these rules that don't seem to make all that much sense. But in chapter 25, you've got this year of jubilee uh, that every 50 years there would be a reset button. Uh, This was God's heart for the world. That those in prison would be set free. Those who were in debt had their debt cancelled. Those who were enslaved, they would be free. Everything would be returned to its right place. Uh, If you needed to be forgiven, forgiveness would actually be granted. And this was actually God's heart for the world. Uh, But do you know that there's nowhere in scripture, there's no historical evidence that the people of God ever actually practised this. Again, this is what God desires for his people. But they never did it. Why? Because maybe they just thought God wasn't all that serious. Maybe they actually thought that those people in prison actually deserved to be in prison. Those people who were slaves, well, they deserved to be slaves. Uh, those people who had a debt, well, you can't just cancel their debt because they're reckless with their finances. But this was God's heart for the world, but the people of God never expressed that to the world. I don't know about you, but I reckon our world needs a reset button. <laughs> It needs a year of jubilee, doesn't it? And I imagine that even some of you in this room actually feel like you need a reset button on your life. Uh, You feel like you need a reset button on your relationship with God, that things have actually just grown stale and cold between you and him. Uh, There might be a broken relationship between a, a friend or a family member or a spouse and you just need a reset button on that. Uh, You might feel that your relationship with your children, uh, that somehow God needs to come and reset that. This is God's heart for the world and it's God's heart for you. This year of Jubilee. You know, there's a question for me. Because this sounds great news, but there's a question for me. Can actually Jesus do what he claims he says he can do? I don't know about you, but when I listen to preachers these days, I don't really care how eloquent they are or how intelligent they are or how gifted they are. I just want to know, are they authentic? Is there anything in their lives that actually matches up with their words? Uh, Well, if you keep on reading uh, Luke's Gospel, uh, Jesus comes across a demon-possessed man and he heals him. Uh, Jesus has the power uh, to drive out demons. He can set us free from spiritual darkness. Uh, Jesus comes to a woman who has fever and is close to death and he heals her. He has power over sickness and death. He meets a paralysed man and he heals him. Imagine that. This man can actually uh, have the dignity of getting a job and actually returning to the workforce and not be a beggar in need of other people. He says to the same man that your sins are forgiven. God, Jesus, can restore us to a relationship with God. Jesus comes into a broken world and restores one life after another life after another life, word and deed coming together. And it says that all spoke well of him. 
But then Jesus actually makes a, a mistake. He actually continues on in his sermon and he gives two bad illustrations. He gives two illustrations that makes the people actually furious. The widow at Zarephath and Naaman the Syrian. Uh, the widow, widow at Zarephath, verse 26, she was a Gentile, she wasn't a Jew, she wasn't one of God's people. She was an idol worshipper, she was a heretic, she was poor and she was a woman. In, in that culture, she was virtually invisible. Uh, she wasn't living the right way, she didn't believe in the right things. And yet Jesus says, I have come for people like her. A uh, name of the Syrian. Uh, he was incredibly wealthy, but he was a murderer. He was a killer. He actually put people into a slavery. And like the widow, he wasn't a Jew. And Jesus says, I have come for people like him. Do you get that? Do you hear that? That every person that you come across in this world, bears the image of God and God loves and Jesus loves that person. That Jesus loves the Muslim, the Hindu, the Buddhist and the secular Australian just as much as he loves you and he loves me. There's a rapid change uh, in the room uh, they go from actually loving Jesus to hating him. In verse 22, somebody cries out, isn't this Joseph's son? Yeah, somebody says, I used to play uh, a soccer with Jesus in the under 10s. Uh, somebody else said, yeah, I actually used to uh, change his nappy when he was just little. Another person says, I actually dated Jesus' brother, prophet, priest and king, Messiah, uh, God's uh, anointed one. No, he's not. He's Joseph's son. Verse 28, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and drove him out to town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off. Now, I've preached some pretty bad sermons in my day. You might be thinking, well, this is actually one of them. Uh, but I've actually never had anyone want to kill me after a talk. What is going on here? Well, people are actually making up their mind about Jesus. Uh, very early on in my ministry, I read a quote from John Stott in Basic Christianity that has stuck with me over three decades of ministry. He says this, he says, If you read the Bible, you'll see that nobody who ever met Jesus Christ ever had a moderate reaction to him. There are only three reactions to Jesus. You either hated him and wanted to kill him. You were afraid of him and wanted to run away. Or you were absolutely smitten by him. And you tried to give your whole life to him. You either hated him, you feared him, or you loved him. Do you know what I think the greatest challenge to the mission of God today is? It's not that we live in this global world that is changing at such a rapid pace that we just can't get our heads around. That's challenging, but it's not that. It's not that we actually live in a culture that seems to be going further and further and further away from its Christian heritage and its Christian roots and kind of feels harder to actually express our faith in this culture. That's challenging, but it's not that. 
Do you know what I think the greatest challenge to the mission of God today is? It's that the people of God only have a moderate response to Jesus. And friends, that, that will just not do. I was... um. I live in Thornley and so I was uh, driving down here this morning and I was praying over this talk. Don't worry, I had my eyes open. I didn't sort of close as I was driving. And I was uh, thinking through this talk and actually got to this part of the talk and I think actually that's often true of me and my heart. That only, often I only have a moderate response to Jesus. That I don't love Jesus and I don't love the people that Jesus loves the way that I should. Verse 30, it says that Jesus walked right through the crowd and went on his way. And what does he do? He goes into the next town and preaches good news to the poor and heals the sick and gives sight to the blind. And then he goes into the next town and preaches good news to the poor and gives sight and and heals the sick. And he goes into the next town and the next town and the next town. Jesus is relentless in bringing good news to the poor. Here in Nazareth, they hate him, but in Capernaum, they love him. In Capernaum, there's a glut of miracles. People actually respond to Jesus in amazing ways. Jesus says, I have to go to the next town, and they actually try to hold on to him. In verse 43, he says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And so he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. You know, in Nazareth, they hated him and despised him and rejected him. In Capernaum, uh, they gave their whole lives to him. And as you promote Jesus in word and deed, you'll, you'll experience all sorts of different responses. Some people will love you. Some people will go, oh, harm. Some people will actually despise you. But their actually response to Jesus is not in your hands. What is in your hands is to take up this call of mission. And to love Jesus in word, we have a good message of the gospel of grace to share with people. But also to love people indeed. That you will actually be the aroma of Christ. That you will actually be the expression of good news in in people's lives. That love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, all of these things will be bubbling up in your life. In Isaiah chapter 61, uh, there is a verse that Jesus didn't actually read out on that day. But in verse 6, it says, And you, and this means you and me, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. Friends, the, the, the mission of God has never been left in the hands of the professionals. It's never been left in the hands of the few. It's not up to pastors or missionaries or theologians to actually promote Jesus in word and deed. Do you know who the mission of God is actually entrusted to? Do you know who it's entrusted to? It's entrusted to you and it's entrusted to me. So my encouragement... Uh, To you, my friends, my brothers and sisters, who I don't know by name, but you're actually going to spend eternity with me. Sorry about that. (laughs) 
that you actually just might be inspired this morning to be spirit-filled followers of Jesus, that you actually just might wake up tomorrow and say, God, God, help me to love the people that you've placed in my life well today. God, may my life be the aroma of Christ. May they actually sense something of Jesus within me. And God, help me to have the opportunities to speak to my friends and my families and my work colleagues about you. Will you do that? Yeah. Allow me to pray for you. Would you actually stand as I pray for you? Let me pray. Uh, loving God and Heavenly Father, I thank you for this community of faith and I thank you for the people here this morning that you've done a good work in their lives. And God, uh, we just actually acknowledge that uh, the gospel was never actually meant to end in a cul-de-sac. It was never actually just meant to end up with us, but it was always meant to be passed forward. And so this month, as we think about May Mission Month, may we not just think about actually supporting uh, people who promote you in other parts of the world, but may we actually make this actually personal and take up this beautiful and glorious opportunity to promote you in word and deed, just in the places that you've actually placed us, in our uh, streets, in our cul-de-sacs, in our sporting groups, in our workplaces, amongst our family and friends. Help us to be spirit-filled followers of Jesus who promote him in word and deed. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And the people of God said...